And we are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner NFL Combine Week version. This will be heavy, heavy Chris Boward centric. We'll toss in the Chris Boward interview that we just got done recording with the GM uh, less than an hour ago. We're recording this late Thursday morning, so we've heard a lot from Ballard. I mean, if you couple this interview we're about to play for you, which is just north of 20 minutes, and yesterday you had the podium session and then the spillover that he always does with the local media. I mean, you're probably looking at about 40, 50 minutes of Chris Ballard from the last couple of days. So, uh, Eddie Garrison, we will give away our takeaways off of the Ballard comments uh, but let's go ahead and toss that again. This is Chris Boward with us Thursday morning, the wake-up call. Myself, Kevin Bowen, and Andy Sweeney live at the Combine. Chris Ballard sitting down. He's giving us hell because— You thought we is, were the Patriots well, no, station it's, it, it's, not, it's not our fault, but they did. They sat us next to the New England Patriots. How no, are you, Connie, sir? Connie, I'm good. No, Connie, he's pointing me this direction. I said, what the freak is this? We're going to the evil empire right away. They want to chat with you next. You'll just slide over yeah, there. Yeah, we're stuck between the Titans and the New England Patriots. How about that? we got the Jags to our right. Well, it's go- uh, good to meet you. Yeah. Uh, General Manager Chris Ballard with us here uh, as we're hanging out live. I've had the combine. I feel like I'm contractually obligated because uh, I'm, a, I'm a media member to ask you about Michael Pittman Jr. and of just uh, those conversations, uh, what he means to the organization. I'll ask you this. Is there more pressure because you know everyone's watching this one because of what he means on the field, off the field? He's obviously uh, a great player for you guys. How are those conversations going and maybe a little bit more pressure what Michael Pittman means to the Indianapolis Colts? No, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I think we all know Pitt's a really good football player, and he fits us, he fits what we do, fits our culture of what we're doing internally. Um, the, his agent is, he's got a really good agent. He's been great through this entire process. Um, and it, it's just one we just, we'll just continue to work. Um, we'll work especially through the next, this next few days and into next week to see if we can get something done. Um, I'm encouraged about where we're at, but we still got a little work to do on it. Do you feel like you're close on a long-term deal? Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if you ever feel like you're close until the actual contract signed. I learned that a long time ago. Um, it's, but you, you, you think you are, and then it's they're always delicate with negotiations, um, and you just diligently work through. Mike Bloom does an incredible job for us, um, and he kind of knows where, you know, what we have available from a financial standpoint, um, and then plus the other things we want to do and trying to fit it all in. He does a tremendous job, and that's always part of the equation so but we're optimistic about where we're at and I assume if you don't get that long-term deal done by Tuesday you would tag him it's a it's a tool we have hopefully we get something done never had to use it before um, and hopefully we get something done before that moment. So if you don't get something done Tuesday, you would let it play didn't, out? Until- didn't I answer this question yesterday? I mean, that's just loaded. It's like I can't give a right. I can't give the a tag deadline is is Tuesday. Yeah. Is, is it, it long term deal? Or hopefully bust? we get something done. Chris Ballard with us here uh, on the wake up call. Uh, a showdown here. I'm in the middle between you and Bowen. By the way, we, we do have a clip of you saying freaking Bowen several years ago. So you, probably have no, you probably have no idea. My, my, oh, no. So, I say that all the time. Well, see, at, at, at some point, uh, we may need you. So and, it, my, and it usually doesn't start. It doesn't, the second letter is not usually an R. We have a dumb butt. It's been used. Uh, 
Rick Carlisle has put our dumb bug oh, yeah. to use uh, in, the, in the last several weeks. I was going to say, my last name's Sweeney. We may need a freaking Sweeney. Uh, we can, we can kind of uh, mash them together. Just uh, ask questions about White House. Well, you'll get it. Yeah, yeah, well, there you, there, there you go. That, that'll be that. We'll, 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 we'll keep that to the end uh, of the interview. Uh, obviously, talking about uh, Anthony Richardson, you were asking about him yesterday, uh, not pushing that. Uh, it's good that his rehab is going well. How does he look and how have the conversations been where you make sure that he's not doing too much too early? No, that's that's a good question. I mean, his doctor's been heavily involved. You know, Dr. Elatrosh did it out in, in California, and he's he's been a, a, a great resource just from a checking standpoint. All right, are we making sure we're hitting the benchmarks that we need to hit? We're not moving, you know, too slow, but also moving at the right pace. Um, and then between him and our rehab team and then a couple other people that he has that he's been working with for a few years, um, there's been really good communication and dialogue to what, you know, where we want Anthony to be at this point, then plus when we get to April, sure. May, June, um, and we're in a good place right now. Will there be anything different, like mechanically, no. with him? No. It'll be all... No, no. It, it, he'll, there won't be any changes. The, the good thing is uh, there wasn't structurally anything wrong with the shoulder, much different than Andrew's case, where Andrew, you know, had a torn labrum, so a much different rehab than Andrew's was. And it's not as quite... A, it's a... It's a it's a serious surgery, but it's not near as labor intensive in terms of the surgery when it you know when it's not a labrum, not a torn ligament. He is Chris Ballard. He's here with us live at the convention center, year eight for the Colts GM. You seem to express a good amount of regret yesterday about the wideout position, um, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but maybe the lack of whatever support you gave Reggie Wayne and that staff last year, coupled with you're really bullish on this year's draft depth at wideout. Um, could you expand a little bit on the regret from last year and not and I, giving that group enough? It, it wasn't as – the regret came like when Dueling came – you know, when you lose a good player, it, it's hard to replace that guy. And so kind of – and look, some of those guys, they gave us some good snaps and did some good things, but finding consistency out of that number four and number five is something we're looking, you know, looking to make sure we shore up. Getting Dueling back will help. His rehab's gone really well. Um, it was a freak. It was a freak accident, you know, with the ACL. I mean, I remember watching the tape over and over again going, how did this happen? He's on grass and he just makes a, I mean, he just makes a, a post cut and, you know, the knee gives out on him. So, you know, just a little bit of bad luck in that circumstance. And then, you know, the depth part of it, finding, finding a guy that, you know, like Doolin's, Doolin's value is that, one, he plays on, he's a core t- special teamer. Um, he does a lot of the dirty work, um, you know, at wide out, and he can do it from three different spots. And I always felt that he was one of the most undervalued players we kind of had just because of that that role. Uh, Zach Pascal filled it, you know, for a few years, and then Doolin kind of stepped into that role. So having a your number four is really has to be able to play multiple spots and give you snaps on teams. Um, you, and I'm telling you, that's a unique thing when you got a guy like Doolin that can do all of them. That's a that's got all pro Pro Bowl talent as a as a teamer. Then also fill in if he's got to play wide out and actually start a game or two. Um, you're still in good shape with him. And you feel this this crop in this draft is you know might might compare to that 2020 group that yeah. you might have what four or five Hall of Famers in that crop. Well, I don't want to stamp them as Hall of Famers <laughs> yet, but they're very. Ta- it's a very talented, deep group, which is good. 
look at wideout again. Chris Bowd with us here at at the combine. You know, Josh Downs seems to be the ideal complement to what you have in that room. How much is getting a little bit more yard after catch? Yeah, I, I mean, at? I think as he gets, I mean, he's still a young player and even from a physical development standpoint he's still young you know his body's still maturing and I think that you know as he gets stronger um, and then plus he adjusts to how people are playing him like when you start watching the tape the second part of the season you know people were trying to take Josh away I mean he became really a dangerous you know weapon for for the offense and you know especially on you know on money downs when you when you got to have it so we we and I and like I, I think we've designated him as a slot only but I thought some there were times last year where he showed he could play outside too um, so we think he's got great versatility he's got really good upside you know Josh and he's a he's everything you want like he works he cares he's tough he fights through things like all the stuff you like about him is why he's going to be a good player you expect Grover and Julian Black, uh, Blackman to be back well I think with all I think with all our free agents um, you know we've had good discussions with all their agents um, you'd like to say absolutely like to have everybody back you know but that's not always realistic um, what at the end of the day uh, whoever we do end up getting back are the ones that we were able to kind of fit in the plan of what we have to try to you know shape this team for next year and you know even the guys we don't you know sometimes it just doesn't work out and sometimes they get more money at another place that we just weren't able to do so we'll see how that works would out. you say the realistic nature to it is you want to do something else and if you bring those top four back if you will that can kind of hamstring you a bit i think you always try to get your own guys back first I mean, that's always the priority. One, because you know them and they know you. All right? So there's, it's one of the funny things with, with, and especially, and I think the fan base, I think the media, I think even internally, like you always see your own players and you see kind of the warts on them. And, and, but, and then you see the shiny object in free agency that you've never lived with and you don't know the warts. And I think that's always a kind of a balance that it doesn't mean you dislike the player, but you, well, you know, maybe if we go get this other guy that's a free agent, you know, you know, maybe he'll he'll fill the role better and he's a shinier new object. But that's not always the case. And we're always going to lean towards trying to do whatever we can to bring our own guys back. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. He's the general manager of your uh, Indianapolis Colts, Chris uh, Ballard, here with us on the wake-up call on the fan. Uh, your tight end room, the last few years you put a lot of draft picks into that tight end room. Uh, Jelani Woods, uh, it's terrible the setback he had this year, not being able to play. Maybe not a deep draft class this year uh, at tight end. You could talk to that, but what do you make of your tight end room? How much work do you think needs to be done there? Yeah, I mean, look, we were, I think, in totality – it was a it's a it ended up being a productive room for us i mean i think when you add up kind of what everybody did together it ended up being a productive room do we necessarily have you know i said this yesterday you know we don't necessarily have a, a kittle or a or a kelsey um but we have really good players in that they all have a little bit different skill set and what they can do and they get points in the season they all made a play that helped us you know from from uh granson 
who is sometimes I don't he even for being an undersized guy really battles as a blocker. Mallory, who you know, one we got to stay healthy and get him get him a little stronger, but he did some really unique things in the passing game uh, that we liked and created some mismatches that that were really good. Um, and then you talk about Mo, who you know all Mo does is show up and and do whatever he's asked to do and do it at a at a good level. Um, so in terms of the room, and then then when you talk about Jelani, who's really got is is really got a unique skill set because you know because of his length and his ability to run and stretch the field. He's really good when you're talking about the the shallows, the seam routes, uh, the Dovers, the long crossers that you can run with him, and he's a big target for the quarterback. Uh, so getting him back will be a big add. Okay, Chris Bauer is with us here live at the combine again inside of the convention center. Chris, year three it will be for. Gus Bradley in this defensive scheme. What is it about Gus's scheme that that you like and you and Shane wanted to retain? Well, I mean, we've, you know, after year one, you know, with him, and we had a bunch of, I want to say we we had a group coming off a, you know, a tough 21 season where it didn't end the way we wanted um, with a, a lot of veteran players. And, we, you know, we ended up signing Gilmore and had mm-hmm. some vets. And then we said, you know what, we're going to start, we're going to go back and try to get younger and develop those. So the simplicity won. Um, and that's where I would think that it's been fun to watch. Gus is smart now. He is a smart man. He's a smart coach. Um, I thought he did a really good job adjusting some things last year to what we had, and then we'll continue to build on it. Um, you know, we've done some good things. We've got to eliminate the explosives. I think we all know that. Um, that that you know, making a team have to earn it down the field is a big part of this game. When you give, when you, I mean, we'll play great defense for. 50 snaps in a game but there's seven or eight that you know will give up a play and so we've we've got to eliminate that some of that was youth um and you know some of it was you know these guys just hasn't been in these situations so i think they'll get better um i did think there was areas we didn't we did improve we're pretty good on third down um the red zone was better not where we want it and that's an area we got to take even a, a better a bigger step for we'll always be front driven um you've got to keep nine, ten guys in the stable um, that can rotate in and take snaps where those other guys can, can, you know, really give the max effort when they're in the game. You know, that's always the – that's always and that's hard, you know, to have nine or ten. I thought last year was a really good group. I mean, I thought that what, you know, between – you know, you got your first four, then you have your second wave of guys. And there's some young guys we're excited about. Like, I still think Quiddy and Dio will take a whole nother – I think there's more – another step they can really take. I think Eric Johnson will continue to prove from a small school. We picked up a kid from Dallas last year that kind of got glossed over was Isaiah Lamb that we think has real upside as a rusher. And I think you saw he was only active for – five or six games last year, but when he was active, we saw some really good things out of him. He just, you know, small school, young, needed, really needed a year of work, and, and it'd be fun to watch his development this offseason. Chris Ballard with us here uh, on the Wake Up Call on the fan. Uh, we've done a lot of position stuff. I-, I wanted to ask you this because one thing that kind of struck me, you know, fans, after a loss, people, you know, people get angry, and I'm, and I'm talking about, you know, the heartbreaker, obviously losing to Houston at the end of the year. You had that press conference 
after the season. You talked for like 45 minutes, an hour or so. And I thought at the end, you kind of bared your heart out, your soul almost, uh, where you're like, you know, hey, that game was on Saturday. I came in here on Sunday, and I was alone in the facility. Um, what was that day, that night, and that next day when you're in the facility and you know you were right there from making the postseason? What's going through your mind? Kind of what's the emotion as you're sitting there in an empty facility and you're alone in your office? It's, um, you know, anytime you get that close, you know, the division title on the line, then you don't finish it out. And look, it's happened, you know, in 21 when we didn't finish it out at the end of the year, and then in 23 we don't finish it out. Um, and it was a and, – and what I will say about the game – like it was a heck of a game versus Houston, which, you know, you look at it, you know – kind of hindsight now i mean houston was playing really good football at the time i mean they went and beat up they bit the i mean they handled cleveland pretty easily in that playoff game and then you know really for a half gave baltimore a good run um and it was a heck of a football game and at the end of the day you know they made you know one or two more plays than than we made and that <laughs> that can be a a tough pill to swallow but one you have to swallow mm-hmm. you can't just ignore you know that you didn't get it done and that's a fresh Frustrating. It's frustrating, but the things I was encouraged about was to watch our team compete, the intensity, watching a lot of these young players compete. That was encouraging for the future. Um, I suck handling loss. Like, it's mm-hmm. like game day, I'm the worst. There's <laughs> nobody. I mean, I turn into, like, the fans have no idea. Like, I turn into them. And if, like, if they saw it, they would go, oh, okay, that's, that's how I act, too. Except they're probably not punching walls and throwing <laughs> chairs against the. Against the <laughs> Sitting in front of you in the Cincinnati press box, I was reminded about. Uh, <laughs> was, there a chair, was there a chair thrown in that, in that Texans game? <laughs> no, no, that was pretty good. Okay. That was pretty good. Okay. That one was pretty good. Well, like fans of- don't fans don't see that. They see the result. But I mean, you're in there the next day. This is your livelihood, and it's like you were that close, and yeah. you know you were that close. Yeah, and look, I mean, that's the that's the great thing about our league. It is so co- like the difference between six wins and eleven oh, wins. It's unbelievable. Is it could be six or seven plays in a in a season. Well, think of your game with Cleveland earlier in the season. Yeah. I mean, literally, ah, well, you may not want to, yeah. I mean, a call here or there, a play here or there. Try not to get yeah, fined sorry. here on yeah. this uh, Thursday morning at the Combine. We are live I don't quite combine. have Mr. Say stroke. <laughs> we are live here at the Combine. Chris Ballard is with us. Chris, year eight for you. I don't need to remind you of these numbers, but it's one playoff win. It's zero division titles yep. in your era. Why don't you feel like you've had more success? I think you, Kevin, I think you know me well enough to know I'm like either you get it done or you don't. I'm not going to sit here and ever. The easy thing would be to make an excuse and look at the end of the day, not getting the quarterback position right has hampered it. And that falls on me. I don't fall on anybody else but, but me. And it's something that, you know, you you learn and you grow from i think we've done good with anthony now i think time will play all play out um but my failures in that space and with a with a position that's so important um you have to get that right you have to have a guy that that can that can actually you know lead you and make plays in critical moments um that's the great separator in our league i think you see it every year in the playoffs i think you see it with teams that really excel and go forward they have a guy at that position that you know when the game's on the line or when there's there's 
real leverage points in the game where you need to make a play, he makes a play. Do you view roster building as there are positions that are more premium than others? That's a that's a good question. I mean, look, I think you know me by now. I think the front, both O-line and D-line, are critical to win in this league. I do. And I'm not taking anything away from the other positions, but I think as the season goes on, it shows up more and more. Teams that are good up front, usually, at least it gives you a chance each and every Sunday. I think we've all seen when you're not good up front, the result of that. Unless you have a, just a true ma- magician back there at quarterback that can that can somehow overcome it. But I always, my mindset has always been that way. And look, I learned that from a long time back in Chicago, and then and then looking at what Coach Reed. I mean, Andy, that was one of the things Andy always. I mean. You never go short up front. Now you look at how their team's built. I mean, mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's yeah, quarterback no and then it's up front. I mean, and I just think in the long run, that still wins in our league. Last one from me. You mentioned explosive back about a month and a half ago. You want to get more explosive. How much of that is simply you just think the presence of number five under center gives you that? And how much of that is, no, we need to go outside the building and make sure we do a little bit more there, too? Well, unequivocally, I think the, the quarterback's going to help. I think it showed when he was when he was in the game. Um, you know, his, I mean, like, I thought one of the really cool, and it sucks that we didn't finish it out, but the, but the Ram game, I thought, like, in the second half, I, you know, you're, we play like crap in the first half. And, and credit to the Rams. I mean, they kicked it. I mean, excuse me. They kicked the crap Mark, out dump, of us. Dump that, Mark. Yeah, please, thank yeah, you. Scratch that one out. They, they kicked the crap out of us in the first half. But the explosives that he was able to create in the second half was really fun to watch. But when you have, like, that's the one thing about, like, Jonathan Taylor. Like, Jonathan can turn a a one, two-yard run into a 40, 50-yard run. Having, you know, making sure we, we add another element to the offense that's really good after the catch that can create the play that's not, not there. Chris Ballard with us here. And by the way, the Jonathan Taylor, that Houston game, one of his, uh, yeah. no doubt, f- finer games. Uh, need to ask you this. Uh- and again, that was Chris Ballard with us Thursday morning at the Combine. Um, I guess just overall, Eddie. Let's start here. I obviously want to, you know, parse out, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. stuff, Anthony Richardson stuff, uh, anything else that you find noteworthy. I don't know. I could be nitpicking a little bit here, but I I would just say overall, it's it's a bit of a um, I, 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 terse might not be the right word, but just not as open as I as I recall Ballard being and again I could be looking way too much into this Eddie but I, I want to give my raw thoughts on on what just you know what I observed from him you know, again yesterday today in the interview I I think there's a little bit of an element of he knows if it doesn't go right this season which I don't think that's the expectation but if it doesn't go right I mean, he might not be here in 2025. And I don't know if we've really ever been. What's right? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to think a playoff appearance. But, you know, it, it, you always have to see, I think, the full season play out. I mean, certainly if Richardson, whatever, is you know goes to the same injury situation they went through last year, maybe you don't necessarily you know go exactly off of that. But... <laughs> I just think there's a little bit of you know what or get off the pot. 
Like it, that 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 time is now, and it's part of the reason why I asked him that question about you know his era and the lack of results off of that era. I mean, you know, if you really get into it, Eddie, and you look at the GMs hired either in the year that he was hired or the year before, the year after that, and you look at them that are still around in the NFL, frankly, it's rather laughable the amount of results they have versus Chris Ballard. I mean, you could point to Chris Greer in Miami, a few more playoff appearances, but um, or I think just one more playoff appearance, but certainly hasn't had um, the postseason success like Ballard, but... You know whether you look at Brian Gutenkunst or Brett Veach or John Lynch or Brandon Bean. I mean, you know, so many of these guys. You know, those resumes are just a whole, whole lot different. So, I, I would say just overall tone wise, that was probably something. And I don't know, maybe it's just in general combine nature, and you want to be reserved around the draft time. But I, I, I just tend to feel like Ballard's usually a little bit more on the open side with that. Um, so that was probably one of my one of my initial thoughts from him. Uh, certainly enamored with the draft depth at wideout this year. Uh, I noticed a little yards after catch mentioned there at the end, which I think listeners of this podcast will know that's music to my ears. Early on, uh, nice update on Jim Mercy. I would say there at the end, speaking with him for thirty minutes last night. Um, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. related Eddie. He's he was very direct yesterday. I try to parse him down a little bit there. Um, but very direct yesterday on Michael Pittman Jr. will be on this team in September. Um, I do find it interesting he won't commit to the franchise tag if they can't get a long-term deal done. Like, do you think if we get to Tuesday at 4 o'clock and they don't have a long-term deal done, would he let that eight-day window then play out for the start of free agency to get a long-term deal done? And I guess before you answer that, sorry, let's go over what all that means. We're recording this Thursday morning, February 29th. March 5th, Tuesday, is the franchise tag closing window. At 4 p.m. Eastern. So once you get to that mark, franchise tag's done. You use it or you don't. He doesn't sound like a huge like advocate of using it, necessarily. It's a tool. Yes, it is a tool. As soon as he said that, I, I immediately... Regretted asking the the question. It was like the same rehired or recycled speech he gave last year about Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, something along those lines. So, Eddie, if you don't tag him and you don't obviously have a long-term deal done, that leaves you eight days until the start of free agency, March 13th. And I guess if you want to get technical, you would only have six days, right, until the tampering window opens up on Monday, mm-hmm. March 11th? See. This is where I get confused with all the verbiage and everything. Like, he's still technically a Colts player. Right, but your free agents have that 48-hour window that begins just before the start of free agency to legally tamper. And again, I say legally tamper. I mean, again, illegal tampering is happening in downtown Indianapolis this very moment of you and I talking right now. Happened last night, yeah, for sure. Hundreds of yards, of uh, 100 feet, frankly, away from where we are recording this right now. So... That that's just obviously risky, you know. I mean, the tag is the insurance policy the Colts have. If you don't use it, now you need you know both sides to agree on the long term deal. Like Michael Pittman Jr., there's no agreement with that tag. You can slap it on him, and boom, he's under contract um, for the 2024 season. So again, just the how of it'll play out. 
uh, which I, again, I think listeners have, have realized that's kind of where I've been for the last month or so. He will be back. It's just what does it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a question that you have. Uh, I've I've talked enough. Anything Ballard related that stood out to you? When I hear the things that I've heard about him regarding Michael Pittman Jr., it's kind of made me wonder if and make me kind of believe. I think they're going to get a contract extension done prior to that franchise tag window, which begs the question in my eyes as of yesterday and even more so today, is there another player that we haven't talked about that could get the tag and there's a reason why they're trying to get an extension done with Michael Pittman Jr.? Kenny Moore, probably the only one that would somewhat qualify as that, but even then, I just think that's a lot of money to be paying slot because that's more of a nickel, or excuse me, that's more of an outside corner tag money, not the nickel corner. Yeah, today he mentioned about building up front and in the trenches and he spoke really, really highly of Grover Stewart right at after the start of the season, at the end of the season. So to me, that's where my mind went is he's got such an admiration and appreciation and love for, you know, the trenches on the offensive and defensive line and such high praise about the person, player, and character that Grover Stewart has and is. It makes me wonder a little bit with how much of a steal his last contract was. Is there there a possibility that he could be the player that gets the tag just because of the way Chris Ballard operates? Yeah, I'll go back to the question. Is it a Twitter question today? I I forget that they sent about, you know, if you sign, re sign the big four, Pittman, Blackman, Stewart, Moore. Is that it? Like, do you have what? And again, I threw that question to, to, to Chris earlier. You know, do you have else? And again, how does the tag play into that? You know, how does the franchise tag alleviate that or help you out? You know, if you obviously are heavily front loading a one year deal with that, um, you know, a couple other things. Uh, you know, certainly would like to have Kenny Moore back. He 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 mentioned that. You know, the whiteout depth in twenty twenty four. He mentioned this at his podium session on Wednesday. You know, comparing it to twenty twenty, where you know Pittman Jr. and T Higgins were taken late, and you know Brandon Ayuk was late first round. Justin Jefferson wasn't even. You know, the first or second wideout taken, I don't believe, in that draft. Um, and, and, you know, expressing some regret. And I, I know he really harps on the Ashton Doolin, but, again, to me it's more of, boy, you need some other insurance there for, you know, Doolin and not just banking on, you know, frankly, him to be that guy. And if he goes down, now you're in scramble mode trying to provide depth. You know, really, they were fortunate that Pittman Jr. and Pierce stayed as healthy as they did. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have the ankle pop up for three or four weeks or something like that last season. So, certainly, is a huge, huge fan of this draft depth at wideout here in 2024. Um, the Anthony Richardson news item. You know, I think it's good news that you know nothing motion wise needs to change with him mm-hmm. from a throwing motion standpoint. And that was a question that I had. And I agree wholeheartedly with Ballard's comments Wednesday about, you know, I guess it's nice that he's ahead of schedule, but, and I'm paraphrasing here, but like, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. Like, you know, we're going to be cautious. And, and frankly, I think they should be that. You know, we've talked about the dates time and time again on this podcast. Nothing matters for Anthony Richardson until mid May. And, and you can debate how much that even matters. Um, I tend to think a dozen practices throughout the offseason program, OTAs, and the mini camp. That's really beneficial for a second year QB who played 173 snaps as a rookie. But I know it's not the end all be all. Like at the end of the day, you know, what, September 12th or <laughs> whenever that Sunday, and more or less July 28th or whenever, you know, training camp starts, those are the dates 
that that matter a whole lot more. Um, so yeah, that was the Richardson item. Backup quarterback was a little interesting. He's not someone that sounds majorly focused on getting the same stylistically mm-hmm. type of QB to Richardson. It's more of like, can you keep the ship afloat? I don't care how it looks, but can you keep it afloat? So, you know, that, and I probably am there as well. I'm more of a, can you band aid it up for a couple of weeks if you need it? As a quarterback, can, mm-hmm. can you whatever three games? Can you win one of the three, two of the three, et cetera, et cetera? And then also, I'm probably more of a human guy. I'm probably more of a, you know, are you accepting of the role? Can you help develop Anthony? Can you really, you know, be more of the tutelage guy than, oh man, I'm itching to play. You know, I would love, you know, I'd love for Anthony to go down, and you let that like bleed into your actions. I know that's probably a little bit of like a callous take on it, but. That's where I kind of look at the backup role for this team. And then certainly, again, how things play out for Minshew here over the next couple of weeks will be huge. I would disagree with him, and we'll see how his actions play out. I would disagree on the he's not very gung-ho about a veteran cornerback as an absolute must Mm -hmm. to add to this youth uh, in the secondary. I think it should be explored. Um, I, I, I tend to think that's the better route to go. I know he would probably say, well, there's great draft depth there, but still, I think it's good to get a veteran guy into that room especially if you do lose a blackman in free agency you know you don't want to put all of that veteran leadership on Kenny Moore for the back end of that secondary they'd probably go and make a veteran you know safety room um so yeah i think that covers like a lot of the big stuff what did you think of his response about Gus Bradley when you asked about him yeah i don't love like one of the words that he used to describe a reason why he likes Gus's defenses. I like the simplicity of it. Um, I I don't view that as like a major compliment of a defensive scheme. I understand there's an element of it helps young guys maybe get on the field earlier. It's easier to communicate on game days. You're not whatever overly taxed from a mental standpoint. I'm more of a, these guys are pretty freaking smart to get to this level in the NFL. You, you you can't just be some idiot by any means to have gotten to this level. The football intelligence is very high. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to think, you know, throwing a decent amount from a, again, a variety of scheme, variety of coverage, variety of blitz, variety of pre-snap, disguising, that sort of stuff, the very nature to week-to-week life in the NFL, I tend to think that is where you can create the old Charlie Weiss schematic advantage per se. And you got to do something against these offenses. Mm-hmm. The offenses have so many damn advantages built in for them. You don't have many built-in advantages defensively. So I view that as one of the very few areas to try that. And Ballard, I don't think, does view it necessarily in that light. So, again, that would be one that I would disagree on. I think he's a little higher on that tight end room than most. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a question that Eddie, you and I have thrown at each other for the last month or so. Again, what, what does he think of that group? Because if you look at it resource wise, he's actually invested a decent amount draft wise into tight end four picks in the last three. Was that four the picks number? in the last three drafts and not four seventh rounders? No, a third. A fourth, a fifth, and a sixth. I mean, that's that's pretty notable draft capital for that position. 
Um, so uh, is Bowers the outlier? You know, that's that's that is the question probably you would have. Um, there is a little bit of like a Ballard bird on one shoulder for me that's like Brock Bowers is not six seven, two fifty. Like if you look at it, whatever Bowers weighs in at, I forget if it's later today or tomorrow, Eddie, he's going to be on the small scale for tight ends. Mm-hmm. Very much so. I mean, I just walked away from his podium session. I mean, he's not this. I mean, if you looked across the room at the various tight ends at the podiums, he's probably the smallest one. If Ballard is going to spend the 15th overall pick on a tight end, does he say, no, nah, it's too early for exception of the rule? You know, that sort of element um, to it. So, you know, I know tight end was a question that we wanted to get to. I did like that yards after catch comment, though. Mm-hmm. I did like that. I think that's really, really important for them. So I think that probably covers most, if not all, of the main Ballard stuff. Uh, one more thing. Uh, he spoke. He thinks that Quiddy Pay can take another step. To me, we, uh, who was the other player he mentioned in that pairing? I think he mentioned, I think he mentioned Dio. Okay. Right? I think it was Dio. I and, and then he started to kind of get in the depth chart in general on defensive line. Isaiah Land yeah. was a guy that he had mentioned. Yeah, I, when I hear him talk about the D-line and pass rush, he doesn't sound like a guy that is, like, itching to find another one no. to add to that group. Um, now, maybe. So there's a sigh of relief for the fans out there that don't want to see him waste another early pick on one possibly yeah, and, and, and I understand where you're going with that comment but uh, yeah just because you've wasted picks or not hit there doesn't mean you stop necessarily with that um, I, I, one thing I do want to add this kind of goes back to Wednesday because I know it was a popular topic Wednesday uh, did you see that NFLPA survey yes about where the Colts ranked in some of those areas um Again, players from each team vote anonymously on their own teams, you know, whatever you call them, lifestyle, work, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact phrase to use for it there. Um, Basically, working environment and uh, the treatment of families went from a B plus to a D. That did kind of stand out. Part of me as a father of a young uh, two children wanted to be like yeah welcome to the daycare shortage people uh from a child care <laughs> standpoint um yeah, it doesn't shock me you can't find any daycare support at at lucas oil I, I say that a little bit in jest you would think you'd be able to find a handful of people to staff that room and pop on peppa pig and daniel tiger and call it a day or bluey or or, or, or bluey certainly yeah, probably bluey more than more than the other two or paw patrol and uh, exactly look at look, look at you eddie garrison uh and and call it a day there from a need a babysitter yeah gosh uh they're one of seven teams right that they don't have game day care did i did i see that in the uh you are correct in the mention of it yeah food and cafeteria about average weight room dropped a little bit uh, training staff dropped a hair. They love Shane Steichen. Travel went from an F to a D, so I guess you're making strides there. I I, I think it's a tad overblown, if I'm going to be totally honest with you. The results from this survey, um, if you looked at some of the grades around the NFL, a lot of them are pretty poor. Yeah. Do I think there are some rather obvious things that you could take care of? Yeah, I do. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think it's like all right. Some of the stuff, like I mean, daycare during the games. I mean, come on. Like I mean, you could easily take care of that if you need to. Um, Ballard, and judging by his answer from Wednesday, he's probably a bit frustrated by some of the answers, like weight room related, food and nutrition related. That's been a big undertaking for him. Mm-hmm. Since he has taken over, he really re- wanted, and, and they did, remodel the facility and, and the weight room and things like that. Um, so that is something that I think he wants changed, and and um, he probably doesn't love seeing that. But again, for the most part, I'm not going to fret too much over these answers. Yeah, me either, because it's like most of these guys have been around the Colts. There's not many outsiders that have come in. Well, and is it— I don't, To have a— to have an experience to compare it to. Well, that that is a good point. I also think this. It's not like this is seriously hindering the Colts from attracting free agents or keeping free agents either. So, yeah, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over the old NFLPA survey. Did you see that the uh, the Chargers are one of the teams that does offer daycare, but they charge like $50 for a kid, and then each additional one is like an additional like uh, 75 or something I can't remember I, I did see that and I I don't have the Twitter handle in front of me but I literally burst out laughing when I saw a response to that tweet say that's what happens when your franchise has Antonio Cromartie and Philip Rivers <laughs> that's good how good is that that is great I mean that is outstanding that is the beauty of Twitter that's why I love Twitter, and I will always stand by it. You think uh, Philip Rivers is the one who got daycare? Can you imagine? All right. Uh, the You imagine how thrilled they are if Antonio Cromartie's hurt and he's at home and they're bringing the – well, I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't even know all the kids' names to pack in the car, right? It also uh, does add up now, knowing that the Colts are one of those teams that doesn't have it, and you always see, like, whenever they pan on, like, to, like, family members and they have a – you know, an infant or, or or a young child, the young child's right there with him. With well, the funny mom. thing too is, I well, I I know the Colts have a room at Lucas Oil. I've definitely seen the room. I I I I guess I'm a bit confused, but I don't know. Maybe it's like it's the room for like the parents to take the kids into, and there's not like you know, the parents can't just drop them off and then go back up to the mm. suite or back to the stands to watch the game. So again, I didn't. There's a reason why I didn't feel the need to ask him that when we had him on the show today. I just didn't find that. Super, super pertinent there. Um, I guess last thing, anything you made from Ballard's answer on, you know, just why his tenure hasn't had more success? I thought he um, was a little caught off guard by it, and it took him a minute to kind of gather what he wanted to say personally. Yeah, there was a little bit of a pause there, if I remember correctly, at the start of that answer. I mean, certainly quarterback is – that is a big part of it. Again, I would kind of go down to the, the, the trickle-down effect of I think other premium positions have been missed that has hurt the ability to have more success or certainly try and sustain it for a few more years as opposed to going into year eight with that. Uh, if you've got nothing else Ballard-related, Eddie, should we uh, hop into Twitter questions? Only... Three to get to. Casey is the Twitter question that you were referring to earlier in the pod. Seems like most of the local media is in favor of bringing a lot of the Colts' own free agents back. Feels like we're running back the same team we've had for three or four seasons and expecting different results. 
Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor, offensive line, Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner, Kenny Moore, Jillian Blackman, Zaire Franklin. We've seen what this core of players can do. Are there, <clears throat> excuse me, are they placing that much pressure on Anthony, on Anthony Richardson to elevate the entire roster? It's a great, great, great question. Um, not like I've found myself pausing in recent weeks being like, wait, you can't run it back with those four. But then I'm like, wait a minute. What are your answers if any of those four leave? And they're not great answers. I mean, we, 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 we've we gone over. I, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, maybe safety. Maybe Nick Cross takes a big jump and you patchwork it with a veteran and Rodney Thomas is still in the mix. I, I don't... I don't know. Um, you know, part of me thinks this, and I think Chris kind of mentioned that when I asked him specifically about Grover and Julian. If they get a bigger deal elsewhere, you know, are you re-signing three of the four, and then you've got room to go do something bigger? Is that where that veteran corner kind of comes into play there? Uh, I do think the Richardson element of it is a huge, huge part of this offseason. That's why I wanted to get that last question into Ballard of, when you talked about explosive a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. how much of that is just strictly Richardson? Because he certainly does. I mean, there's no question he brings an explosive element to the game. I don't think that can be the end-all, be-all, and I'm glad he kind of threw in there the yards after catch part of it. But still, he should bring a huge part of that. We made the baseball analogy a million times last year after the draft of, uh, you know, he can be Adam Dunn for you, which you absolutely love, but you can't have the amount of strikeouts. And to be fair, in the small sample size, Richardson did not have a ton of strike. When I think of strikeouts, I think of turnovers mm-hmm. or you know just total ineptness from an inaccuracy standpoint. It, it that was not there. So that I think is very very important. But Casey, it, it, it's a great question, and you know we're about to get some answers on what they think of Nick Cross or what they think of the value of Julian Blackman. And then again, how do you sprinkle that into other parts of free agency? I did think going back to Wednesday, the Ballard answer on free agency was a very similar to to the rhetoric that we're used to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where I would just disagree with him. Of You have to be accepting of the free agent market. You don't have to like it. You don't have to be a fan of it. But you have to be accepting and knowing that you walk into that store and those are the prices. And the market drives it. And if you want to try and improve your team, you're going to probably have to do some things that fiscally you might not love. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hell, part of that is just welcome to life. But part of that is welcome to try to improve your football team with guys that have experience in the league. And that's what the early part of free agency is. When you bargain shop, you're largely going to get what you asked for, and that's, I think, a little bit of what the Colts have, have done in free agency. Two questions left. Mihol and Ian, what would it take for the Colts to get Marvin Harrison Jr., and what would the pros and cons be? I don't know much about the draft process. Well, it, it would, I mean, hell, Eddie, what do you think? Three first-rounders? I would say two and probably another second or third. So your own pick 15, that's one. Depending on which team it is that you're trading with. I'm trying to think, boy, didn't like the Titans go from 15 to 2 to get Mariota and the Eagles did something similar with Wentz? Yeah. Maybe not that far down round one, but they made, you know, notable mm-hmm. moves up to that. I don't know. Would you have to get to two? Would you have to get to four? 
Um, certainly, if is it Arizona at four? Correct. I mean, they could hold a king's ransom if they wanted to for that. Um, I think it's entirely unrealistic. Let me just start there. And honestly, Eddie, I think there are some teams around the league, and we had Dame Brigler on our show the other day. I mean, he mentioned there's multiple teams that have Malik Neighbors above Marvin Harrison Jr. So I don't know. It would take a huge. It, it would take a huge price for any draft to move from 15 to four. Yeah. Um. Period. But also, I, I I think and listen to Ballard. I mean, if he is gushing about this draft depth as much as he is, yes, Harrison might be in a different stratosphere, but still, I don't see him doing that. I I guess draft wise, Eddie, I get into this debate a lot with the draft guys we have on, and I struggle in the analogy game. So I hope this makes sense. <clears throat> but if you view the middle of round one, and if you view edge rusher, and you view Wide out as the two needs. Let's play out this gas store analogy, okay? Mm-hmm. You're heading to the gas station. You can only buy one item at the gas station each hour. You need a Reese's and you need a peanut butter M&M's. Those are my two favorite candies, by the way. You walk in there. Now, which M&M's? Peanut butter M&M's. Good, good answer. And if the peanut butter M&M's are wide outs and the edge rusher is Reese's, you walk into the store in the first hour, and you have you have to get both. You walk into the store in the first hour, there's three Reese's left, and there's nine peanut butter M&M's left. If you need both, you're going to buy the Reese's, or you're going to buy the peanut butter M&M's? Mm. It's a very good call. I'm going Reese's. Scarcity of it. And that's what I get into, I think, with this draft of... You know, to me, that has to play into it. If you have the ability to come back in round two and feel like the depth can 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 you know stand up there better than at another position, I think you have to tap into that there. So, yeah, the Marvin Harrison Jr. thing that went away when what you started? What were they three and five when they started to turn it around? Is that right? Yeah, that's when uh, that's when it went away for you. Um, by the way, Brock Bowers said today when he was speaking at the Combine that uh, his meeting with the Colts was a formal interview and he shared that, quote, everyone was in there, clarified that there were about 15 to 20 people in the room during the interview, and you were talking about his size earlier. 6'4", 240 is what he was listed at this past season by Georgia. Yeah, and again, I mean, 6'4", 240 is a good size tight end, but when you view it in Chris Ballard light, that's that's a little bit different than what he's trapped. Sure, certainly, Kylan Granson falls much more to that mode, but you know, other guys, very, very different. Um, Lance Zerline, he does NFL Network stuff, yeah, NFL.com. Draft analyst. Yeah, he has a Malik Neighbors pro- player profile to Justin Jefferson Woo. and Marvin Harrison Jr. to CeeDee Lamb. How was the LSU not better last year? Um, well, that defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. Gosh, unbelievable. Final Twitter question goes to Benji. Given the Texans' success this season with D'Amico Ryans and C.J. Stroud, did the Colts hire and draft the wrong duo? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a little short-sighted, frankly. Um, first off, I don't think you could have gotten D'Amico Ryans. Um, I think he wanted to go back to the franchise that 
he certainly had a hell of a career with as a player. Um, now you can get into the Stroud debate. I can I can listen to that. And you know, Eddie, think about this time last year. Yeah, you asked me if I'd cut my pinky off, and I said, "Oh hell yeah." Well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to paint that that graphic of of a picture, but you know, I, I was long an advocate last off season for trading up in the draft to be in control. Um, again, going to the old gas station analogy, I don't want other people, you know, leaving me the candy bars and the fun dip that's left. I want to be the one walking in there making the decision myself. And Houston got that opportunity to make the decision of if you want to list the four quarterbacks together, you know, Bryce Young, Stroud, Richardson, and Levis, uh, they got to be in a position where, you know, they could pick one of the three. The Colts were one of two at that point. Um, so that, I think, is something that you could debate. You know, did the Colts hire and draft the wrong duo? I, I think Steichen, I think Colts fans are going to be very, very pleased with what Shane Steichen does as a head coach. And <clears throat> honestly, you can make the case, and Houston was fortunate. They didn't lose Bobby Slowick or Jared uh, Draw Johnson at all this offseason. But you know, they could be in a little, little bit of scramble mode moving forward mm-hmm. if and when. That time come. <clears throat> I did notice one thing. Colts hired. You see they made a few hires the other day, staff-wise. Yes. They hired the strength coach from Philly. Um, you ever heard of David Ballou? The name rings a bell. Strength coach for Alabama. Um, someone's telling me that he actually interviewed for the Colts opening here. Um, wife's a Bloomington native. He went to IU. Fullback at IU. He followed, uh, remember Kevin Wright here locally, the the high school coach? Yeah. He followed Kevin Wright to IMG mm. originally, did some strength uh, strength stuff there. Um, they went to Notre Dame briefly, was at IU, and Nick Saban plucked him from IU to be their strength coach down there at Bama. Uh, someone told me that he interviewed for the Colts strength opening with Rusty Jones re- retiring. He wanted to bring some of his own staff and I guess was told no, the Colts wanted to retain a lot of the guys they had here, strength conditioning wise, um, so I thought that was interesting of a local name that I think some some people in our you know more of our immediate uh, uh, whatever audience here in Central local Indiana, audience yeah local audience thank you will know and could have been another Brian Mason situation there but yeah they opted to go with the Eagles guy who I obviously would have a Shane Steichen connection on that end what really you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, you know, you know, four-hour interview with the Colts. I don't think this past weekend, but the weekend before that. But they elected to go in a different direction. All right, Eddie. Anything else combine-related, free agency-related? Anything I'm missing here? I don't think so. Again, stuff's going to continue to pick up. We'll uh, give some other combine thoughts on next week's podcast. We'll obviously have a Michael Pittman Jr. update. What midweek uh, next week? Next pod probably. Yeah, you know, certainly if whatever for some reason we get the long-term deal that. You know, what, what Ballard said he's encouraged by the progress. Yeah. Is that, is that what he said on the Michael Pittman Jr. front there? So if all of a sudden that happens on Monday, no time to waste. Or over the weekend, might as well do a pod then. Um, so, yeah, we'll come back and uh, start to get a little bit into free agency as well as we are 13 days away from the start of that. We've got Combine stuff up on our website, 1075thefan.com. He's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great rest of your week.